You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. All right, everybody, welcome to the Guidepost. We have myself, Tony Friedrich, Captain John McMurray, and a special guest, Charles Wittick. And we are doing a rapid response to the meeting that just ended for uh, the Striped Bass PID review for Amendment 7. And I would like to ask Charlie what he thinks his overall impression of this meeting was. So, Charlie, please let us know. Yeah, I think the meeting went about as well as we could have hoped. In fact, far better than I expected. There were a couple of key issues here, most particularly the biological reference points, where if we did not get what we wanted, the striped bass could have been facing some serious problems in the future in terms of management. But... The management board, for the most part, stepped right up to the plate and did the right thing for the fishery. Charlie, was that a surprise for you? You and I have been doing this for a long time. And what what were your expectations going into this meeting out, you know, beyond the reality of what happened? I was hoping, I was ca- actually cautiously optimistic, giving both the public comment and the advisory panel's response that we would prevail on the biological reference points, that they would not try to lower the spawning stock biomass target or try to increase the fishing mortality target. I knew there was going to be a push to do so, but when over 99% of the stakeholders who comment on an issue tell you, leave it alone, it's fine just the way it is, I was hoping that the board would listen. So, Charlie, um, you know, you mentioned 99% of the stakeholders, and you and I both listened to all five-plus hours of that meeting. And, um, you know, to me it was a little uh, – we're going to get into the issues and how states voted and all that kind of stuff, and I want, I want to understand what both you and John thought about this, and especially John's perspective as a commissioner. But i got to tell you, I thought it was a little disingenuous – for a couple of the commissioners who I might add voted against conservation for almost every big issue. I thought it was a little disingenuous to some of the commissioners to discredit the public comment. Um, what did you think about that? Well, what other choice did they have? If they acknowledged the public comment, they lost. So the only chance they had was to try to undercut the public comments either by arguing that the public didn't understand the scientific issues that, or that when the public spoke, it was only a selective group. We've heard that before. We have people that try to increase landings to unsustainable levels, traditionally say, well, you know, it's only the elites that do this catch and release fishing that support conservation measures. Real fishermen go out and try to catch as much as they can. They want to bring fish home. One of the comments we heard from one of the commissioners again today was catch and release mortality prevents people from bringing fish home to eat. That's the kind of argument I expected. But it was the only it was the only card in their hands, so they had to play it. And fortunately, this time it didn't work. In the past, it has. So, um, Charlie, when we look at issue one, goals and objectives, and the the decision on the table, you know, just to refresh everyone's me- uh, memories, this is a public information document. So this was the public's opportunity to comment on what would be clu- included in the full amendment that is also going to go out for public comment. So issue number one was the goals and objectives for striped bass. And um, super briefly, I mean, you don't have to, and I'm only asking you this because I know you know it because you have the memory, the best memory of any human I've ever met. But real, state real briefly, you know, what, what, are the, what are the goals and objectives um, 
that they were trying to change. The important management goals and objectives right now are to maintain an abundance of striped bass and maintain an age and size structure that contains a lot of bigger fish because the larger fish are the individuals that are the most important spawners. In addition, a large age and size structure, well stratified age and size structure, creates a buffer so that when we have years of poor recruitment, we have spawning stock remaining to produce fish when conditions in the spawning rivers are right. This is the opposite of what we saw back in the 1980s when we had a great year class in 1971, but it was removed from the population very quickly at the same time that there were very few older fish remaining. So there was absolutely no fish in the stock to produce young. So the stock collapsed. So we're going to take a step back before we take a step forward. And the current chairman of ASMFC, Pat Kelleher from Maine, made a pretty bold statement as this meeting started. And it was a bold statement for conservation. And I feel like it made a difference in the tone of the meeting. And I want to know what you think, Charlie, about that. Well, I definitely believe that it did. And I think what he said is something that other members of the commission were already aware of. Uh, in all of the meetings that were held in the States, we heard a lot of criticism that in the past, the management board did not reflect what the stakeholders asked for. They did not take the actions necessary to either reverse the decline in the stock or begin rebuilding. And it came a time when the public lost confidence. And Pat is basically telling them, you need to do the right thing with our flagship species and the right thing for the commission because the people are losing faith in the commission itself. Charlie, you know, back back on issue number one, um, you know, this was obviously the first thing that they covered and it was, uh, it was definitely tenuous at best at this juncture. We did not know how the meeting was going to turn out, turn out. I, I think it ended up turning out pretty darn good for conservation. Like you said, about as good as we could expect, but the States that did not want to change the goals and objectives were New York, DC, us fish and wildlife, Rhode Island, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and North Carolina, the States that wanted to keep it in Delaware, New Jersey, Virginia, Potomac Rivers Fisheries Commission in Maryland. Now, I kind of find that fascinating because if you look at issue number two, look at the reference points, Delaware, New Jersey, Virginia, PRFC, Maryland, with the only other state switching was Rhode Island. Well, what does that tell us about the commission? And then we'll get into reference points after that. Well, we knew from the beginning that the effort to reduce the target biomass was being driven by Maryland, Delaware, and New Jersey. Uh, those are states that typically elevate short-term harvest over long-term health of the stock. They're willing to increase the risk to the striped bass stock in order to increase short-term landings. We could expect that. Potomac River Fisheries Commission I would expect them to track Maryland. Uh, the thinking tends to be similar in both jurisdictions. The one state that did surprise me a little bit was Virginia, because they've generally been pretty good stewards of the resource over the past couple of years. But they seem to have joined the Chesapeake Bay, the other Chesapeake Bay jurisdiction, in supporting higher landings. That surprised no. me a little bit. But it's telling me that you really do have a big coastal bay split. Well, you know, Charlie, I'd like to personally thank the District of Columbia for voting for conservation because they broke that Bay Coalition. And, you know, none of these votes were close enough to where one vote mattered, but it sent a pretty clear message, I think, to the coast that, you know, moving forward with striped bass, you just can't count on 
five votes against conservation anymore. You know, those those five votes being New Jersey, Del Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, and Potomac Rivers Fisheries Commission. So I think that's I, I think that's pretty significant. Um, and you know, when people do the right thing, you got to thank them. So I just want to thank DC. Um, you know, the other thing I think before we get into the the other two issues. So so just so the listeners know. Issue one, goals and objectives to look at revisiting and possibly changing them, certainly not for the better, was taken out of the amendment. We don't have to worry about any, that anymore. Issue number two, changing the reference points, removed from the amendment. We don't have to worry about that for the next little bit, at least until the next stock assessment comes out. The next one that addressed was issue number seven. And I'd love to hear Charlie's opinion on issue number seven, which, you know, kind of swept. It, it was, no no one voted against issue number seven. So, yeah, I mean, that was recreational release mortality and how to address it and how to reduce it. In some ways, I've always considered this issue a little bit of a red herring because when you have a fishery that's primarily recreational, and primarily a release fishery, and remember that anglers do release about 90%, a little over 90% of the striped bass that they catch, release mortality is going to be a big factor. It's inevitable. When you release 10 million bass a year, a certain percentage of those are going to die. And that's basically what we're looking at. Uh, it's no difference. Actually, striped bass with a 9% release mortality rate have better survival in bluefish than summer flounder, than scup, than black sea bass. But because release is such a big part of the fishery, the release mortality number is big. So to some extent, I always viewed it as, I don't want to say a non-issue, but effectively an inherent part of the bass fishery. On the other side, if it's possible to, re to reduce striped bass release mortality, that's always a good thing. Now, the circle hook initiative that was already put in place, that's a positive. If they can find other ways, perhaps by closing fishing areas when water gets so warm that released fish are less likely to survive, that could be a, pos a positive. The one thing we have to look out for is state efforts to close down catch and release striped bass fishing during some seasons in order to reduce participation and in order to reduce angling effort and release and reduce fishing mortality, release mortality that way in order to leave more fish that can be harvested by the people who do want to kill fish. Charlie, one of the bigger issues for conservation was conservation equivalency. And I think all of our positions were, it it's being used in bad ways. It's, it's not, it's not something that only is used by striped bass fishermen, but it's being abused by some states. And there were some fascinating add-ons by members of the board. Um, some that I really liked, and I, I think it was Justin Davis from Connecticut. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But we actually wanted conservation equivalency to stay in the amendment so we, the problems with it could be addressed and it did stay in the amendment. And some of the suggestions from Justin, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just looking at my notes. If you use, if he said, if you use conservation equivalency, it has to have a 75% probability of success. 130% probability of hitting the target. So with those kind of rails on it, it doesn't seem like it could be abused. And I'd just love to hear your opinion on that, Charlie and John. Yeah, I think that was actually Richie White from New Hampshire. It was Richie White. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, Richie, and I'm sorry, Justin. <laughs> but conservation equivalency really isn't a bad thing if it's used properly. And properly, and this is something people keep forgetting, is exactly like it's set up in the ASMFC charter. The charter has a very strict definition of conservation equivalency. 
which basically says that the measures that you adopt as equivalent measures must have the same conservation impact as the measures that are adopted by the management board. That's not what the management board's been doing. Because, of course, in each state, the measures have a different impact depending on the details of the state fishery. So you will see a state that might have a 30% reduction under the board-approved measures when the coastwide reduction might be half of that, might be 15%. But the board has been approving measures that only require the state to meet the 15% coastwide reduction, not the 30% reduction that the measures would actually have had in that particular state. The, the charter, ASMFC's charter, actually doesn't approve of that type of use of conservation equivalency. It would have to have the same conservation effect, or 30% in that state. Uh, that in itself should dissuade people from using conservation equivalency in many cases, because they try to use it as a loophole to get less restrictive measures. So it was pretty, it was pretty fascinating that the only state to vote against keeping conservation equivalency in was New Jersey because they kill the most fish vis-a-vis -vis conservation equivalency. So why the heck would they want it to change, right? And it's not a surprise when you heard their state manager complaining about how you know, being demonized, it's punitive on the states to restrict conservation equivalency when they're the biggest abuser. So we're really lucky, you know, to have the president of this association as a, com a commissioner uh, for New York on ASMFC. Really, really, uh, really fortunate. So for his perspective, you know, I'm going to ask him the same question that I asked Charlie. And when the meeting starts out with Pat Kelleher reminding everyone that people have lost faith in the commission and then followed up by, you know, a lifer fish guy in in mike armstrong with mass dmf telling everyone we better build back the spawning stock biomass i just want to know from john's extensive experiences on councils and commissions what kind of difference do you think that made in the meeting john uh well i, I think it certainly set the tone for what was going to happen uh in the next several hours um i i think it became very clear right off the bat that uh, the public's voice was actually pretty compelling this time and, and that folks listened and that, you know, they're kind of feeling a little bit of heat. Uh, you know, I think Pat mentioned that the public was losing faith. Uh, Armstrong mentioned that the stock was, was indeed in trouble. We needed to, to take uh, some pretty, uh, pretty strong action to correct things. And that's usually not something that you see at the beginning of a council or commission meeting. Um, it didn't seem like there was much room for compromise at the beginning. It was like, you know what, guys, let's let's buckle down and let's do this. And uh, absolutely, it set the tone for what happened. And with the exception of one issue, man, we crushed it. And the public was referenced on just about every comment. Well, the public came out very strong this way. The public came out very strong this way. And I, I think that speaks volumes uh, compared to prior meetings. So I know I'm a little bit biased, John. Um, we actually just had Willie, uh, our executive director, Willie Goldsmith, was able to just join us. He was supposed to be doing some Mako work tonight and uh, I think had to have that rescheduled. So we're stoked to have him here. And it's a perfect, perfect segue. But John and I, you and I have been dealing with the commission for a hell of a long time. And I got it. I know, I know we're biased on this, but I think the, I think the guides association, our board, our officers, the leadership that we exhibited in this made a difference. And, and Willie, Willie on his executive director was a huge, obviously a huge value add. Um, and, uh, and I, I'd like to know your opinion on that. And then we can, we can ask Willie what he thinks as well. Well, first of all, I, I didn't want to disturb Willie's makeover. Um, your, your makeup looks pretty good, Willie. Uh, 
So, so there's that. Tony, we know that Southern drawl is going to get you in trouble sooner or later. So there you go. That, <laughs> I, said, I said, I said, Mako. Mako. Oh, oh, you said Mako. I just said makeover because you know I know Willie likes to wear makeup. So, uh, well, well, listen, I, I mean, I, hundred percent feel like we were a driving force behind this. Uh, when I talked to Mike Wayne before the meeting, he said, "Man, you guys did a great job of of getting the comments out." It, it annoyed me a little bit when, uh, you know, Tom spoke about, uh, you know, how these guys don't know how to contribute, the commercial guys and the party and charter boat guys, because, uh, frankly, that's bullshit. Uh, you know, if you could press a button on your computer, you could you could submit public comment. Hey, we faced we faced the same stuff. And our community, you know, yeah, we got a lot of young guys, but we also we also got some old guys, too, who are a little technically challenged ask ask mm. us how we know we try to run this freaking podcast and you should hear some of the stuff that we have to deal with so it was an it was an even playing field and to discredit the public you know like charlie mentioned that's the only card that they had right when when 99 of the comments come in for one thing the only thing you can do is discredit the comments you don't you don't really have much wiggle room and it's and it's obnoxious and it's insulting to the public willie what did you uh what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think I, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, you know this this is the way that public comment works, and I think kind of your 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 last ditch effort is to question the entire process, um, which isn't really fair, right? I mean, everybody had the same process, everybody had the same assets, everybody had the same opportunity. Um, you know, I think Tony, you've been to a lot more in person striped bass meetings than I have, um, but certainly. You know there are challenges to the recreational sector that you've talked about that are that are kind of part of the part of the public hearing process when they're in person as well. I think every every opportunity kind of has its you know has its um it, its advantages and disadvantages. You know Marty Gary was talking about how he had the chance to listen to what folks in Maine and New Hampshire had to say, and that's awesome. You know I mean this is a coastwide fishery we have to manage it as such, and it was great to hear that other commissioners were listening across the board. And I think it was a really empowering opportunity for a lot of voices that are often not heard to uh, to really get, you know, get their foot in the door of management. I think, you know, for ASGA, this was a great chance to really introduce a lot of our members to, to the management process. You know, this was an issue that is obviously close to all of our hearts. And, you know, ch the challenge was, of course, bringing this big, giant, complex document into these sort of tangible items. And I think... Um, Certainly what we saw today was a testament to, to our being able to do that and to the public's engagement and wanted to be part of the process. So, you know, can't really be much happier with how tonight turned out. Yep. The, the nuanced nature of this PID with so many different issues in it, I kind of looked at it as like a way, you know, the work group that developed the PID, some members of it layered the PID with three or four different issues that could really muck up striped bass. So really all they had to do was win one. And they could have they could have really hurt the recovery of striped bass. So issues one and two, issue one being the goals and objectives, issue two being uh, reference points. It wasn't it wasn't a shock to me that on both those issues, Delaware, New Jersey, Virginia, PRFC, and Maryland all voted against conservation. And to me, that's a pretty big red flag. And, and shows me a weakness on the commission that some states don't get walking papers from the governor and say you have to vote this way, and other states do. So, um, you know, when you saw that first issue come up, goals and objectives, John, and we won that one, do you think that kind of set the tone for the rest of the meeting on top of Kelleher and um, on top of Kelleher and Armstrong's comments? To uh, yeah, I do. And I think it showed that you know commissioners can't hide anymore um you know the, there used to be kind of this good old boys network where there were all these this horse trading in the in the back rooms during the hospitality etc uh but the public is aware and they're angry and it showed in the public comments and, and pat referenced it uh in his opening comp pat kelleher about the the uh, public losing faith in the in the commission process, and I think that was really clear with the the first vote on issue one, and the comments that that preceded it. 
And John, you know, I'm curious to hear, I mean, obviously, you know, there were a lot of really strong voices out there tonight and, you know, Tony and I had the chance to, to speak with a lot of commissioners before the meeting, but, you know, I think as, as much grief as we give the board, I think, uh, you know, it's, t I think we should also give credit where credit's due and just wondering kind of, you know, who are some of the standouts uh, in the meeting this afternoon slash tonight that went on for five hours, you know, who are, who are some of the people who you thought were really looking out for the long-term health of the resource and, you know, making their priorities really clear and trying to steer the direction of this amendment? Uh, so I would have to, to think on that, but the, the first guy that comes to mind is Richie White, uh, Dennis Abbott. Uh, Dave Sikorsky went out on a limb, I think, by making uh, the motion on issue two, even though his state was clearly opposed to it. Uh, I thought his justification was good. And I also thought his comments on... Uh, on discards, on, on uh, release mortality, were, were on the mark. And, and I know that wasn't easy for him to do and, and remain a, uh, a, a legislator proxy. So uh, so props to him. And, and really, you know, pretty much everybody uh, demonstrated real courage uh, that I, I hadn't seen in a commission meeting before. Or, or maybe it wasn't courage, but, but just they seem to know that they're under the gun here and that they need to do the right thing because the public is not going to stand for it if they don't. I mean, those days seem to be over. I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think I, you know, there are many folks on the list, but I think to, to your point about the public, I think Justin Davis, you know, who I think we're generally, you know, pretty impressed with his, his approach to things, but he was constantly reminding the board, you know, like, this is what the public said. This is what we heard, you know, in all the hearings. And I think he brought a really helpful perspective and kind of reminding uh, folks of the fact that this was, you know, there were over 200 people on most of this meeting. This was being pretty, pretty heavily watched by a lot of the folks who submitted comments. And I think he did a pretty good job of, you know, uh, yeah, 100% Justin Davis is is one of the good guys, but I he really, and he mentioned about uh, the fact that he was the one pushing the the slot limit, and and maybe that wasn't such a great idea, considering uh, we really need to protect the 2015s. And uh, you know, it, Justin always says what's on his mind, and I, I certainly appreciate that. And uh, you know, he admits that when he's he's well, not wrong, but but maybe he wasn't fully considering all the aspects of something. And I, I have a lot of respect for that guy. He's extraordinarily smart. So John, um, we had a conversation with Mike Armstrong and I think the motivation, I don't want to speak for Justin or Mike, but from what I could glean from conversations that we had with them, the motivation for the slot limit was to allow shorebound anglers to harvest a fish, understanding that, you know, the boat anglers are usually the ones who get the bigger fish, generally speaking. That's, that's not saying there's not a lot of awesome surf fishermen out there that catch big fish, but I think they just wanted to level the playing field. I respect that. And, uh, you know, it's not what we advocated for in Addendum 6, but you brought up a real important issue. So I think you made the motion on Issue 4, and then that motion was amended by Megan Ware. And I want to bring that up because I think she was a, a, a real big voice for conservation as well. And when Megan amended the motion for issue four, she put in some language that would hopefully protect the 2015 year class and, and was also supported by Mike Armstrong. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I, I did not expect that uh, amendment to be added. Uh, but it was a well. First of all, I was the seconder. I was not the maker of the motion. But it was really a welcome addition, and the public was clear that they they thought that protecting uh, strong year classes was an important part of the rebuilding process. And and the science indicates that that is very true. And and really, uh, the reason we rebuilt striped bass back in the eighties was was because we wanted to protect that one year class. Uh, I don't remember which year class it was and Willie you could probably help me but I think it was 83 or 86 82 we, we made the decision okay. in 1985 to protect that 1982 year class is it mature right and we, we, we did that by husbanding that that year class through this, allowing it to spawn at, at least once and and preferably twice before we had at it and I think uh you know 36 inches was the minimum size limit and there was moratorium uh in, in some states as well 
And, um, you know, that worked. That worked. So we really should be focusing on the things that we know that work. And Megan seemed to recognize that. And, and we sh certainly should have included her as one of the standout commissioners in this meeting. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to add that when the so there's basically two votes in Robert's rules. There was the there was the first motion and then the amended motion. So what happens is the what happens is they the the chairman says, "Hey, let's vote on the amended motion see if that passes. If that passes, then the amended motion is actually voted on." So when that issue 4 came up with the caveat to protect 2015 under the amended motion, does anyone want to guess which states voted against it? Delaware, New Jersey, PRFC. Wow. Sh shocker. Someone, someone, uh, someone call an ambulance because I, I, I feel like my heart's fluttering. I'm, that was such a shock to me. And then when, when that passed and the actual, it became the motion, it was voted on again. And New Jersey was the only state to vote against it. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they were going for Custard's last stand on this, but like, they were also the only state to vote against conservation equivalency. I'm just, if you hear the paper turning, that's just me looking at my notes. They also voted against goals, uh, keeping changing the goals and objectives, and they also voted against changing the reference points. So like. I guess when we say bad things about New Jersey, PRFC in Maryland, maybe there's a foundation in our logic. John, what do you have to say about that? So I think it's very clear that a handful of states had high expectations that this amendment process would allow them to weaken uh, conservation provisions in Amendment 6 and uh, delay rebuilding and to basically liberalize regulations during a time where the stock is demonstrating a very clear downward trend. And they lost freaking badly. I mean, you could almost hear it in their voices how, how frustrated they were. And guess what? You know, it, they don't get everything they want. You don't get to do it. This is a public resource. It's, it's owned by the public. The public gets to tell you how to manage it, not the other way around. And they got that message loud and clear. Um, and you know, it's hopefully we're at the beginning of this process. We're just talking about what to include in this, uh, amendment. Uh, we got all the things taken out that were really critical, uh, but there's still some leeway for these guys to, to liberalize. And, and one of those is, is in the management triggers. So, uh, we really have to keep on top of this and we have to keep working. We have to keep the public engaged most importantly. I mean, I mean, the fight has just begun. Because like I, like I referenced, the architects in the work group that kind of wanted to do bad things, Maryland PRFC, <laughs> um, they planted three or four different seeds, and one of them got through, and that's the management triggers. And if they can monkey with the management triggers, well, you know, they can still muck up the recovery a little bit and still and still go for harvest i, I want to switch gears real quick because this one was huge and what a heavy lift and willie did some william shakespeare shit word wordsmithing conservation equivalency and we certainly laid the groundwork for him the year before he came but try to explain conservation equivalency to a human who just likes to fish and it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world and two years into it the whole coast, if you say conservation equivalency, they're going to come at you with pitchforks and torches. Um, so, uh, you know, kudos to us for uh, for showing everyone that, you know, the way conservation equivalency is being used, it pretty much sucks. And so I was, to me, like you said, you could almost hear it. To me, I could hear the whimper in the room when... Now, please tell me this was Justin Davis, right? Uh, please tell me that was well, it was Richie White, right? Uh, that that wanted to put the rails on. The Richie White equivalency. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go over some of the ways that he wants to change it? Because I mean, this was like, this was like, you know, 
you beat somebody up on the beach and you walk away and then you turn around and you kick sand in their face, right? That's what the, that like con the conservation community had already won some huge issues and then came issue number seven or whatever the hell it is conservation equivalence equivalency and john you want to kind of lay that out for folks yeah you were on the commission so absolutely so uh richie who's got giant balls which is awesome um i don't know if you want to edit that out or not but probably uh he recommended that uh, the the standard be 120 percent equivalency. Well, hold on, hold on, you you keep going, but I just want to point out okay. something. I've learned two things in this podcast. Willie wears makeup, and you, somehow you know that Richie White has giant balls. Let's please continue. <laughs> well, I'm speaking figuratively. Willie Willie does wear makeup, but anyway, 100 uh, percent of conservation equivalency, not just 100, uh, a 75 percent probability of success, not just 50, and it. One can only uh, submit a conservation equivalency application if the stock is not overfished and overfishing is not occurring. So that pretty much takes striped bass off the table right now anyway. Um, I, I think it was Semino that called it punitive, but it, it's not. Those are common sense. I mean, there should be a high bar if you're going to take shitty data and use it to try to get yourself more fish. Um and and then not be accountable and by, by right? shitty by shitty data, John. Let's explain that because coastwide, yearwide, MRIP is good data, but right. the way that so the states when you are narrow using it, down it to, yeah, yeah. When, when you, you narrow one it down, month in one state, it's right. You almost useless, and they they right. know that. Which, which is great. They're willing to do that if it gets them more fish, but if they have to be accountable for it, then all of a sudden that data is bad and they can't use it. It's a huge double standard and somehow they get away with it. And, and, and what's also incredibly irritating about this CE issue is that uh, Fodi and Semino constantly bring up that, you know, they're the victims and that they're being required to take this huge reduction while states up north, like in Maine, who account for a very small percentage of the harvest, don't have to take much of a reduction at all. And, that, and that's true because guess what? New Jersey and Maryland account for the lion's share of the fishing mortality. So of course, they're gonna have to take the lion's share of the conservation measures. That's only fair. But you know, they, they play that victim card and, and I think um, people have, are fed up with it. They don't. They don't recognize it anymore because they know it's bullshit. Yeah. So, John, I just wanted to kind of step back for a minute because I think you know we've been alluding to it, but obviously it's kind of worth just laying it out. You know, this was a this was a big night for striped bass conservation, right? We got goals and objectives. You know, reconsider reconsideration of those taken out. We got consideration of biological reference points. We got that taken out. Regional management. I think that was your motion that got taken out. There's going to be a, a, a hard look at conservation equivalency, as you guys were just discussing in terms of, you know, putting it under the microscope, understanding uh, the risks that it might present to, to the coastwide stock. I mean, overall, it's, you know, it's really hard to think of issues that that weren't, you know, a success in, you know, looking at the long term outlook for striped bass. You know, the one potential exception to that, and you alluded to it earlier, was on the issue of management triggers. And, you know, I wouldn't even say it was, you know, a failure, but I do kind of think, you know, it might be giving you a little bit of heartburn um, given kind of what your initial motion was. And I thought if I was wondering if you kind of walk us through what, what went on with the, uh, with the management triggers discussion. Uh, well, my recommend or my motion was to suggest that the technical committee go back and look at uh, management trigger number five, which uh, sets parameters around uh, what the, commission should respond to as far as juvenile abundance indices. Uh, in other words, you know, you react to uh, a dearth in good spawning years. And the way the current trigger is written is it the bar is set very low. I mean, it hasn't been tripped once since we've had the time since we've had the juvenile abundance indice, which I think is 60 some years. Um, so my suggestion was that, well, Let's uh, let's keep all the management triggers in place, but let's revisit this one and let's have the technical committee look at it and come back to us with uh, some suggestions or some options on um, 
what would constitute a, a, a real um, trigger that's that's actionable and, and actually uh, does something other than just being there. And, and there were a lot of comments tonight about uh, the fact that it's it's not necessarily uh, fishing mortality that's causing the downturn. It's it's the young of the year indices and the fact that we haven't had all these, uh, you know, extraordinary young of the year indices. It, it, in fact, we're at more of a, a leveling off where we'll, we'll, we'll have, you know, one good young of the year indice every you know, three, four, five, six years. Um, so what happened is uh, the folks from Maryland and New Jersey said, well, why are we just going to revisit that one management trigger? We should be revisiting all of them. Uh, and it, it managed to gain some support. And, you know, uh, Max Appleman, I think, had the most compelling reasons for it, uh, that we, we really needed to revisit them because they, they were maybe uh, too constraining as far as uh, stability goes in the fishery. Um, I don't agree with those comments, but I think other commissioners did. Uh, it, it's not the end of the world. Um, we actually have an opportunity to now to add some more constraining triggers. Um, we have the opportunity to require, maybe require action uh, if one of the management triggers is trip, because right now there is no requirement for the commission to act on those uh, management triggers. Um, and, and historically, they haven't. So, so there's some opportunity here. I, I don't think I would consider it a loss. I mean, yes, it was irritating um, to, to have that scuttled the way it was, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's giving us an opportunity to rally the public again and, and to get them to tell the commissioners what they want out of uh, you know, these management triggers. So something um, you know, that was kind of fascinating to me was when when these people that were pushing for kind of that unsustainable harvest you know let's just friggin wipe striped bass out we all know who they were when they started losing and then they started losing more they it, it was it was fascinating to hear the desperation in their voice whether it was Samino saying that conservation equivalency is punitive or you know when mike luisi mentioned regional management and how everything that was important was stripped from this document and regional management should stay in there even though there's no science to support it and then his and then his fallback position was well we need to produce the science to support it and it doesn't sound to me like the scientists at asmfc have a hell of a lot of time to be doing the two-stock model if they could only handle, uh, you know, what Tony Kearns told everyone is they could only handle four or five of these issues on the amendment. And the, the last thing that I kind of noticed in, in line with all of this was, man, the pedal was to the metal on this six months ago. They wanted to get this thing out and done and, and pass this amendment. We, we can be done in the first meeting in 2022. And then it was like, hey everyone slow down a little bit you know you're going too fast and i was laughing i was like oh what's the matter you want to go slow now so i was just wondering willie or john if y'all kind of saw the same things that i was seeing but i mean it looked like you know they did they, the the folks who wanted to change things for the worst did not expect what happened today and uh and god bless the, the science-based commissioners in the Northeast and Pennsylvania and all the other great states that kind of stood up for what was right. And I wanted to know if y'all kind of saw the same thing that I did and, and what you thought about that. Well, the slow down thing was interesting, I thought, because you're right. All those guys were gung-ho, let's get this done. And we were the ones that were like, well, wait a minute, we have a stock assessment, a benchmark stock assessment coming up in 2022. Why don't we wait and see what that says? Wait, wait and see what the... MREP data says uh, for the next two years because we don't we don't really know what's going on with with the prior addendum uh, that that set the slot limit. We don't know how effective that is, um, and and they kind of shut that down. They said, "No, we got to move ahead. You know, our fishermen need relief. We need to relook at the reference points. We need to look at the triggers." 
and when it looked like they weren't going to get what they wanted, all of a sudden they took a totally different approach and said, wow, well, you know, let's slow down. Let's relook at this. And I thought that was hey, pretty. Hey, hey, cowboy, <laughs> take it easy, right. cowboy. Let's slow this down. I right, was like, what? Right. Who's saying that? Yeah. And the two stock model thing, I, I, I wanted to, to comment on that because I don't, I, I mean, yes, it's a science issue um, and we need science before we proceed. But it's also like, okay, so you get the science. I mean, so what if we're able to delineate between the Chesapeake stock and every other producer uh, uh, estuary? Because those, it's one coastal stock. They all come out in the ocean and they meet, and there's no way to manage them once they're in the ocean. Um, well, so is, I don't, I don't understand just, what the I'll, goal is. I'll just interject, John. There is a way, but it's probably not going to be the way that a lot of those people want, which is you're going to manage to the most vulnerable stock, Right. You're going to, if you don't know which, if you don't know which stock you're going to be, you're going to be catching, then you're going to have to, you know, be, be protective of, of whatever stock is in the worst condition. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, you know, it's, it's something. And I think that was something we kept hearing today. Right. And I think several commissioners were like, you know, Hey, do we, does that mean we get to manage to the Albemarle sound, (laughs) which is like going to go extinct? You kept hearing it. There was kind of this, you know, it was almost like paternalistic, like the fishermen actually realize what the implications of, of, of you know, of, of their comments could be here. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, re- regional management is a good example of the exact opposite, depending on, you know, wh- what you learn about relative contributions and what you learn about relative stock status of each each of those stocks up and down the coast. The outcome could be you know pretty unfavorable if your goal is to, is to harvest a lot of fish. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And that's why uh, we hired him, John. Right? Yeah. It's good to have a nerd on your team. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. It, we, it, I think we need another seems, one. <laughs> I know, right? It certainly seems like the, the impetus behind this is so they could uh, harvest more fish in the Chesapeake Bay. And I, I'm not sure how that would happen, but, it, you know, why else would, would they be supportive of that? So – Here's something, you know, John, you mentioned harvest more fish in the Chesapeake Bay and the horse trading that goes on in the, you know, in the little, the little back room that they rent after the meetings and at the bar in the evening, the Lord knows what else goes on. So here's something that I found fascinating. The only thing that Delaware wanted, the only thing that they wanted was that to revisit the commercial allocation and to our credit as an association, because that those are really old numbers from like the seventies, I think in our, in all of our documents, what we told people was, you know what, in an issue of fairness, this is like the oldest commercial allocation on the books and we should revisit it because you know what, Delaware's getting the short end of the stick because what's fair is fair. And we got to be consistent. We try to be honest brokers and who mucked it up. Delaware's friends. PRFC in Maryland. So I just wonder moving forward what that's going to do to that little relationship. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. You know, it, it, it's it, all the all the interpersonal stuff to me kind of blows my mind. I, I'll tell you, John, when again, you and I have been doing this so long, we're older than dirt. But I kind of felt like something changed in the room because me and, you know, me and you and Willie are texting back and forth in the meeting and we're talking about what we think, you know, what we thought that the most important issue was. And that was lowering the reference points, changing forever the amount of striped bass in the system. And, you know, we were like, oh, man, you know, we're counting in our head. We're like, man, this vote's going to be close. This vote's going to be close. It, It wasn't that close. One, two, three, four, five, six votes for 10 votes to get it out. And I, I kind of felt like something changed in the meeting. Did you, did you guys feel the same thing? Or, I mean, to me, that was the oh, turning point. A hundred percent. It seemed to be clear that the commission understands that it's under the gun and the public is pissed off and that maybe, just maybe Congress is aware uh, and and decisions were quite a bit more reasonable than they had been in prior meetings. 
And maybe that's just because the commissioners had a change of heart, but I don't think so. I, I think it has to do with a lot of crap that's going on, uh, you know, on a on a very high level. And like a, it'll be like interesting maybe a, to see how like it maybe plays a capital, out. Like maybe a Capitol Hill level where they feel like they're working with an anvil over their head, maybe? Something exactly, like yes. Yep, 100%. I wonder who would orchestrate something that nefarious against ASU. No, I don't, I don't know. know. I guess, I guess our, I guess our listeners will have to stay tuned to hear more about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I kind of noticed that too, John. You know, like everyone kind of, you know, saying the public, the public, and people have lost faith in us. And and I think Kelly it was Kelleher that said something to the effect of ASMSC may change forever. Huh? I wonder where yeah. he got that idea from. Hmm. Well, I don't know. More, more, more on that later. So um, not, not, not to pivot, not to pivot from your your mystical words, Tony. Um, but I, I do just want to think about, you know, what went on today, and then more importantly, kind of where we go from here, right? So, you know, this was a five hour meeting, um, and for all that was talked about, the issues were super high level, right? It was like here are these nine issues on the table. Are they in or are they out? you know, with a couple of exceptions around CE and triggers when you got into the weeds a little bit. But obviously, you know, each of these is going to have alternatives. There's going to be a lot, you know, each of the, you know, each of, each of what's left in the amendment is going to have alternatives to consider. You know, there's going to be a lot more specific work that goes on. Uh, and John, just kind of wanted to turn to you and, you know, if you, you could give listeners kind of a just a general sense of, of, of what's coming up next, right? We know that you know, the time frame right now is for the amendment to be finalized early in 2022. Um, so what's kind of going to be happening between now and like the August meeting when the ASMFC comes back together and, and you guys get a chance to talk through the amendment again? So what we decided on at this meeting was what was going to be included in the amendment and what wasn't. And it's pretty clear what was taken out. We've already discussed that. Um but we're going to be presented with the document in August, um, and it's going to include conservation equivalency, management triggers. Uh, oh gosh, what were the other things? I'm burnt out. Uh, it's there, there's a whole lot of work to be done, and and there's still a lot of room uh, for mischief. Um, but but I think we we really uh, cleared a major hurdle here. And we got rid of the things that were truly detrimental to the striped bass stock. And, uh, you know, I, it's kind of hard for me to look forward at this point. You got to give me a couple of days right now. I'm just kind of uh, a little burnt out from that conversation and, and maybe patting myself on the back a little bit saying, you know, well, we get, we did a pretty good job at this meeting and, uh, you know, we should revisit this in, in a couple of weeks and see where we all are. But, but crap, we, we, we crushed it today. We really did. And, and I, and I really 100% believe that that is a result of the advocacy by the guides association. We were the tip of the spear on this. We were the driving force and, and man, it, it fucking moved shit. You know, it, it moved the dial. It really did. And so that's, that's where I am with everything right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, what I, what I think John, uh, you and I have worked, for countless orgs and associations and everything else. And I think the magic with the guides association is we had the foresight to get the most notable, most respected board members, great officers, very few egos and people who are generally put the resource first before anything else. And, um, and for whatever reason, that combination of having really smart dudes like Willie and then just crusty, salty dudes like me and you and Paul Dixon and Jamie Boyle and, and the rest of our and, – and Gene Quigley. And I don't want to forget anyone because I don't want to piss anyone off, but go to our website and look at our board because everyone's awesome. And you get, you get these respected guys who people trust because we speak plain English um, – you know, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to, I'm not, me and you are about the two biggest pessimists that ever lived. We could, we could find, you know, we could find the negative in anything. I think that's me and your superpower, John, but I have a hard time not feeling good about what happened today. 
Uh, yeah, I really so, do. A hundred percent. We can't claim victory yet, but I think our listeners should understand that it is so fucking hard to move policy decisions like the way we did it today. And that is extraordinary. That does not happen often. And, uh, you know, good job by, by everyone around, particularly you and Willie. I mean, good, good work, man. Nice job. On to the next one, right, guys? Well, absolutely. And I I just, if you saw the amount of, like, I know we were all getting bombarded with texts, but like, oh my God. I mean, our chairman, Peter Jenkins, Jamie, Jamie Boyle, everyone, Peter Fallon in Maine, every person was texting us, you know, what do you think about this? Oh my God, it looks like it's going good. Like, uh, and it's just, to to have people care about a freaking fish this much i mean holy christ dude like we must have done something right um and then to and then to have you know to have all this stuff going on with with other species we're gonna have to shift gears we got so much other stuff on our plate but you know it's not, it's certainly not time to relax, but I, I, th- I think, you know, a hearty congratulations to the conservation community because we didn't get the rug pulled out from under us. We didn't get screwed like in the end by, you know, some crafty commissioner that confused everyone when they were exhausted. We didn't have some BS come, oh, it just speaks of male fishery, let us kill them all. That didn't come up. You know, they were backed into a corner they fought and they friggin' lost and they lost badly. But I'm telling, you know, all the listeners right now, there's a, like John said, there's a lot to handle moving forward. And every person who says that their comments don't count and the commission doesn't listen and all this kind of stuff. Well, if you listen to the meeting today, even if the commission doesn't listen 99% of the time, we put the fear of God into them today and they decided to listen and we peeled off some votes that the bad guys were counting on. And I think when the, when the, when the good guys saw not everyone voting as a block, it kind of emboldened them and it made them, it made them, you know, feel like maybe, Hey, maybe we could win this one. And by the time it was over with, it was like an avalanche. So, you know, like John said, I mean, John is a commissioner. Please listen to him. We are going to need massive public input moving forward on once once the amendment comes out for comment. We are going to need huge public input, twice as much as we had for the PID, because it's going to be a simpler document. It's not going to have as much stuff in it. So we can really drill down on it, and we're one step closer to restoring this iconic species thanks to everyone in the conservation community. And that's kind of how I feel. And I, I don't know if y'all want to kind of close it out with your parting thoughts. I think that would be awesome. My parting thoughts is that my wife is going to fucking kill me if I don't go downstairs now. So uh, good job, guys. Thank you for everything. You really did a good job of getting people out this time. And, um, you know, I think we could write this one down as a temporary success but as you mentioned tony there's a lot of work that we have to do moving forward and uh you know i'm certain that it'll get done because that's what we're here for right yeah and just to echo what you guys are saying you know and tony you had mentioned you know the broader conservation community i think you know for for so many voices to come out with a very similar message really meant a lot i think here i you know i take a lot of pride in the work that we've done but we also you know we, 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 we can't not give credit to all the other groups that uh, that were out there kind of with very similar messages. And I think that resonated with the uh, with the Stripe passport. So pretty exciting stuff. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see what what happens with this draft amendment and what alternatives are in there. And we will uh, be sure to be in close contact with everybody, let them know what the alternatives are and, and how we're going to weigh in. So stay tuned for that. And uh yeah, and Danielle, don't kill John. We need him for like another year or two. So, all right, guys, thank you for joining. Thank everyone for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Bye.